And it's, I believe that we go from glory to glory, but I've also observed that like we go from surrender to surrender. God will ask for something and you will say, okay, here it is, Lord. And then he will ask for something else and he will say, here it is, Lord. And until, and he will ask every part of you, if it is of you, he wants it. And to the level you give him is the level he'll use you. If you only give him a little bit, then you're gonna have a little bit of a relationship. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens. I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries. I hope everyone out there is doing well today. With me on the podcast today, I have author, speaker, evangelist with me, Michelle Faust. Sister, how are you doing today? Doing amazing. I'm so glad to be here. So give us a little bit about your background. Where are you from and where did you grow up? I grew up in the rainy state of Washington, south of Seattle in Olympia, Washington. Actually, I grew up in a tiny little town, Vaughn, Washington, but no one knows that. So (laughs) I always reference Seattle. It's a beautiful place. I love hiking and I like the ocean and I love everything about it, but I do not live there anymore. Thankfully, I love where I live and I'm glad to be here because here is where I am doing ministry now and it is not in Seattle, but yes, I am from Seattle, Washington. And I was raised in an environment of a lot of neglect and a lot of abuse. And I moved out of my house when I was 16 years old and I went from place to place. But the amazing thing is that I've been a Christian since I was four years old. So I've always had an awareness of the Lord and I've always had an awareness of the Holy Spirit since around seven years old. So I've never walked alone without the Lord within my memory. I know somewhere there was a conversion very early on, but he had me from a very young age. My parents, bless them, they did the best. I try to honor my father and my mother because that is a scriptural mandate. So what I'm saying about the situation, I will never name who they are, but I have to say reality. They brought in a Ouija board when I was very young and they released demonic forces in my home. So my dad went from somebody training for a career to mentally ill to the point where he was verbally abusive, physically violent. Mother found out that there was a tie between him manifesting and us going to church. So I was pulled out of church at about eight years old, was not allowed to go back to church until around 12 years old when I could get there on my own with my friends going to youth group. But a really amazing thing was that God himself intervened in that situation. And I ended up growing spiritually and knowing the Lord very deeply within those three years, even without any intervention of any other people, the Lord hung on to me in that situation. So I went through a lot of isolation. Part of that was a lot of neglect. My parents didn't teach me to shower. They didn't teach me to take care of myself. So I got teased very heavily, rope rocks thrown at me, harassed a lot of things. And when you're a child, you don't know why you were being treated badly. You just are. But there was a lot of healing that went over a lot of time and God took me through a lot of processes. So I no longer am responding out of that hurt, but he has healed much of it. But I went through years of mental torments, anguish and just not understanding why things were the way they were or why my parents did not take care of me properly but the lord had people that stepped up and took care of me 
in place of what my parents are supposed to do. Do I think my parents like purposely went over and unleashed hell in my house? I don't think they really purposely did that. But not having the discernment what was being brought in the house, I think really opened up situations that could have very well been avoided. That's some of the struggle. This has been, this has come up on this podcast a few times that we people in general need to be very careful what we expose ourselves to and the doors that, that we open. We live in a fallen world. And some of the, it's, you go into a bookstore and immediately walk in, you see books on, on witchcraft and all kinds of things. And that's, and I'm paraphrasing some of that and just giving a quick version of it, but we have to be very careful what we expose ourselves to because we're opening doors that we may not even understand. No doors, spiritual doors are absolutely real. And I think that one of the greatest lies the enemy has told the generations is that he doesn't exist, that the occult's not real, that magic's not real, that Wiccan's not real. No, that stuff is real. It's just that just because we don't think it's real, just because we think it's a game or a joke doesn't mean it's not real. It has real influence. There are real consequences to what we choose to observe and engage in and to entertain with who we are as people. My parents, that thing, when they burned it, that Ouija board, when they burned it, they were not realizing that what it let in stayed, absolutely stayed. And it stayed to the point where after Christ had me, they followed me, like legit followed me. And then I ended up in a series, a, a point in my life for about 10 years, maybe 10, 15 years, that I stopped listening to God. I stopped listening to the truth. I started believing the lies. I was still a believer. This is terrifying. I was still a believer. And I ended up suicidal twice because I started believing lies to the point and allowing the stress and all of that. And the enemy almost had me. And over six weeks, the truth of God came in and I got free. And I have been free as of 20, 2023 for 10 years. But what happened was that those demons, those demonic forces followed me and my kids. So my son ended up with severe depression, anxiety, and suicide attempts. And I'm why is this familiar? Why does this look familiar? It's because what was attacking me that had no access was going after my children. So until we dealt with the spiritual root, like that, it didn't go away. And even though I was strong, my kids weren't as strong as I was. So you really like that. My parents did that in the late 80s is 2022 when my kids are needing deliverance from the same stuff that came through what my parents let in it has consequences sometimes multi-generational consequences i have prayed prayers where i've said i'm ripping up any agreements that i've given to the enemy i'm ripping up any legal contracts and agreements that i've that i've given to the enemy whether it be for pride anger lust, every addiction, alcoholism, whatever it was, I've said, I'm coming out of agreement with this and I'm filled with the spirit. I'm like, you have no room to operate in my life. And it's, I didn't realize how serious of a thing that was until much later on in my walk, that the lines that I were crossing by some of the things that I were doing or saying or watching or exposing myself to, it was like my eyes had got reopened again for the first time for how serious some of that stuff really is. Yeah, it's very, very huge consequences. And but the thing is that the spirit of God is more powerful than any demon and where exactly. his presence is, no demon can stay. In fact, I have a, a, a pastor I listen to that says that basically demons can't swim in the depths of God. If you submerge yourself in the word and are spirit filled, you're not going to be harassed 
because they don't want to be around that kind of an environment. Like when there's the demons are like a sandcastle and the Holy Spirit is like a giant ocean wave. Like it is no contest. Now we can't fight the demonic on our own, but when we have the Holy Spirit, that battle is already done. We just have to step into break the agreements we had and step into who he is. That's one of those prayers I pray where I ask God to search my heart. Just show me because if the word is clear that I'm tempted away by my own sinful desires, Lord, I need you to make me aware of what those desires are and let's put up some boundaries so I don't fall in these traps and these pitfalls. And I need you to, if please remove some of these desires. What is in me that is not of you? What am I interested in that is not of you? And like you said, it's that constant of, I'm going to spend time in the word. I'm going to spend time at church. I'm going to spend time serving. I'm going to spend time with my mentors and my accountability partners. I'm going to do different things with my time than I did before I knew the Lord, immersing myself in the kingdom so I can be more kingdom minded. Absolutely. And I think we got to get away from this mentality of just having resolutions because resolutions are good ideas and they're good concepts and they're done with good intentions. But when we treat being in the word and a prayer life as a resolution, then we just start it and we're like, oh, I'm not seeing change right away. So then we quit. No, it's not like a diet plan. It is something that you keep with, you do. You might have to pray for months before you start sensing that transformation. You might have to be in the word for months before you start seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit's transformation in your life. The key is to stay with it. There's no such thing as praying and nothing happening. There's no such thing as reading the word and having nothing transforming. The things in the spirit happen way before the thing, before it's seen on the outside, before it's seen in, in, in the actual tangible reality. We have to understand that those things happen first and that fruit takes time to mature and grow. You don't plant a plant and automatically get apples. It takes time for that seed to germinate and sprout and grow and come in and get the leaves and then you get the fruit. That doesn't, that takes a really long time. And that's a lot, that's a huge, huge implications and parallels to us spiritually. We can't expect to have, go from men, like bondage and spiritual oppression to having fruit and freedom overnight expressed with you know, with tangible results on the outside. I think a lot of us just get impatient and just want it way too fast. And that's the thing too. If you're in bondage to something, you're already trapped. You're already stuck. Mm-hmm. So you can't resist it. That's just, that's another trick. And I think to your point, we've become desensitized to a lot of these things because a lot of this stuff is readily available in TV and movies and disguised as wholesome, fun shows on, on, on all kind of media platforms. But if you're already in bondage to something, you can't resist it because it, you you're, all, you're already in the bear trap. <laughs> like you have to get out of the trap and then you can start the resisting process. And you said something else too, that starting over sometimes there comes a point where I need to start over. But there's also certain parts in my journey with God where I'm like, I don't want to, why I need to get to the place where I don't have to start over. So I personally don't make new year's resolutions to what you, to your point, I try to set goals every year to grow spiritually. But one of my things was in this area, let's not start over. Let's not quit reading the Bible. So I don't have to start over again. Let's not quit going to church. I don't want to have to start this up again. There's just, let's just be consistent and just go from glory to glory. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I think it's not not perfection. God is not expecting humanity to be perfect. He's watched us for all of history. He knows better than anybody that humanity is desperately flawed. 
Even when we have the Holy Spirit, we struggle to make the right choices. And God's not looking up in heaven, go, looking down at us in heaven going, you missed, you missed your time yesterday. I'm just angry with you and you can't come to me. No, he's just come to me. He's not going to hold it against you. He just wants you to come. And it doesn't matter if you've missed two days, if you've missed a week, if you've missed a month, if you haven't opened your Bible in a year, like he just wants you to come and be in his presence. He's not angry. He's not mad. And the biggest trap we get into is discouragement. Okay, I missed the time and then being really hard on ourselves. And that is just a toxic cycle that does not lead to consistency with getting into the word and prayer. And you never get to the point where it becomes a joy. You're always in this burden and this just guilt-ridden cycle of I've missed the word, therefore I can't read the word, therefore I can't pray, but God's calling me to pray. So I start over again. And then I just, the enemy just keeps that cycle going and we don't have freedom in that cycle. That's legalism. That's not what Jesus died to give. It's a huge difference when we do everything unto God. So I share this on this podcast that I used to weigh 315 pounds. So if you even look at something as weight loss, for example, let's not get back to the place where I have to lose all of this weight again. But instead of putting all of that on Eric Stevens, it's like, you know what? I get one temple. I get one body. I'm going to do this on the Lord to be as healthy as I possibly can to get out and do the things that God is asking me to do. Because if I'm not healthy, I can't travel and preach the gospel, if, especially since they told me. If you stay on this path, you're facing a heart attack in your 30s because I can gain weight so easily. So it was only a matter of time, probably before I got closer to 400 pounds. It was only a matter of time. So if you do it unto God, it's different. It takes the pressure off of you. It takes the weight off of you. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to surrender where I have to, and I'm going to do this unto the Lord because now the mode, it's a different motive. It's a different heart condition. Sure. I'm the reason that the weight got put on. God, I need you to help me to change this to to honor you. So I don't want to get to that place where I have to start mm-hmm. over again. Especially yeah. when you're talking about something as as like weight loss. The last thing you want to do is get on that scale and be like, how did I gain 60 pounds? Now I got to start this all over again. That is so yeah. discouraging. That is so discouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. It's discouraging to think that you've lost all of your progress. You would have to start all over, whether it's weight loss or really anything that we put our mind to that takes a lot of effort. If we find ourselves just a setback, that whether it's been an us caused or something imposed on us caused, it is just the most discouraging, discouraging place to be. But I think there's wisdom in in the Lord allowing you to come to a place and be like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. And I'm just wearing myself out thinking that it's all in my own strength to do this because that is at the point when you realize you can't and you stop trying to think you can is the very point that God starts doing when we stop trying. And I'm not saying we stop dieting or we stop reading the word, but self-effort is not does not have a place within the kingdom of God. It is not how God has designed us to interact with him. It's all of his work and we just surrender to his work and we cooperate with his work. But at the end of the day, it's not us. And as through that process, the Holy Spirit changes our desires. So our desires start moving us in the direction of his will. So if you're dieting, his desires and his change will help you go over and make the right, he'll help you make the right choices and give you the motivation that you would not have on your own within your own strength. Or when it comes to the word, like he gives you the desire for the word and you're the motivated motivation for the word, the desire that you would not have 
apart from his influence. And I want to make sure that I'm being clear about this too, because to the sometimes we have to hit the reset button. Like sometimes we have to restart. What we're really talking about here is let's just make sure we're being constant in the things of, of the kingdom. So we don't become to a point where we are just in in a situation where it's okay, I'm ready to walk away or I'm about to backslide or I've let too much back in. So we're talking about just being consistent in the journey with the with Christ. We're talking about just the day in day out because Christianity is a day in day out thing. This is a lifestyle thing. This is not just something that we do on a Sunday. It is something that we have to live out every single day. So yeah, sometimes we have to know when to hit the reset button, but I'm talking, let's not consistently have to be starting over and over again with God and constantly having to hit the reset button. Yeah. If you are going over and getting, if you are a symptom of your dysfunction and the symptom that you aren't surrendered to God is if you have to continually hit the reset button mm-hmm. and that, and you were going to keep going around that mountain and going around that mountain and going around that mountain, just like the Israelites did until you get to that place where you allow God to be your reset button. And he's never going to leave you there the same. He's never going to leave you there the same. And again, that goes every single day. You need to be in the word every single day. You need to be in prayer. And if you're having that constant dysfunction, Christianity is not meant to have defeat. Like we are meant to walk in victory. And if you are constantly in a place of defeat, then I have to question what is your relationship with God and how, what are you doing the spiritual basics? Because if you do the spiritual basics, then you avoid spiritual crisis and you avoid physical crisis. The ones that we walk ourselves into that are rooted in the flesh, like overeating or drinking or all the things, or I used to be into gambling. I mean, over this process, I've lost a complete taste for it because not because I willed that desire to go away, but because the Lord has completely changed that desire and completely turned it into something I don't even want to do anymore. That wasn't my doing. That's his doing. That is that is one thing I'm really glad that God spared me from was getting into to gambling. I had enough addictions in my life that led to so much credit card debt. And I'm blessed to be able to say now sitting here today that I'm debt free. And I'm grateful, but I believe he allows certain things into our lives to teach us certain things that if we didn't have some of those trials, if your faith isn't tested, how do you really know where your faith is? How do you, how do you really know how you're going to handle the situation until that situation really shows up? And to your point, we fight from a position of victory. We don't have to fight for victory. If we fight from the place that Christ has already won and that he's already done, he's already died. He's resurrected. We fight from the place of victory. So it's something to keep in mind that we win in the end of this. And we have to remind the enemy of our fate and his. Yeah. Yeah. I heard it said one time that the enemy doesn't even own the keys to his own house. That's real. So we <laughs> like, why are we submitting to the enemy? Why are we listening to him? He doesn't, he's already been defeated. He already understands clearly where he is going. He has no hope of redemption. And all he's doing is collateral damage at this point. There's nothing And all it takes is us to just resist him. We're not even really called to fight him. We're called to resist the devil and he will flee. We're not called to interact or listen or be in bondage to things that Christ already paid for. That is something that that's not what we're called to. We're called to be above that, be in the scripture, knowing the truth. And that truth sets us free. And that freedom, part of that freedom is spiritual. Yes, but that part of that freedom is freedom from those bondages, freedom from the mental illness I got healed from, freedom from health issues that are caused by the caused by sin issues, freedom from those things. And that's one of the things Christ died on the cross to give us. 
you mentioned when you were sharing your story that other people stepped in to to help you uh, along your way. So how long was that process like for you when you know you were like I cringe you said like you had rocks thrown at you and things like that. How long were those folks in your lives and how what was that interaction like? Well, the people that, well, I went through teasing like that all the way through elementary school. So first grade through fifth grade, went through versions of that. By the time I reached sixth grade, I had, I understood what the problem was. I fixed the problem. But by the time you have a reputation, it's next to impossible to, no matter, I could have dressed the best, the cleanest person in the world, but when a community views you one way, that never changes. And unfortunately it didn't, but the Lord led me through a process of forgiveness of those people that by my senior year, I was literally saying, I forgive you for doing this and even admitting that if I would have been in their position, I would have done the same thing. Mm. And I'm not proud to say that, but humans and pride and that dynamic of seeing somebody that's different and that you don't understand, you don't like, you don't know their situation. I'm not immune to acting like that either. Not that I would ever assume I would ever do that, but to assume that I would not as a human being be capable of that, that is a fatal flaw. So putting myself in their position. So I walked out of high school completely healed and free of all of that toxicity and that abuse. But it came from honoring, you need to forgive your enemies. You need to let that go. Even if you're never going to hear an apology from any of them, some apologized, some didn't. But the I was not waiting for them to apologize before I was going to before I was going to just forgive them. I didn't ask them for forgiveness. I just forgave them because that's what Christ tells us to do. Now, did it affect their lives? I don't know, but it allowed me to walk in freedom and not carry that out of my senior year moving forward. Now, when I moved out of my house and I was 16, I ended up staying with this wonderful missionary couple. They did missions. I never had kids. They're still alive today. And they just, they let me stay in their house And I did my senior year of high school and they've been in my life ever since. And they are just the sweetest people, never had kids. My kids are essentially their grandkids. It's just been the sweetest, most amazing relationship. But the Lord has had his hand on me directly, guiding me in the void of parental safety to the various places that he's wanted me to be. Like uh, statistically, if you grow up in poverty and on food stamps, parents who don't work. I didn't get a car given to me. I didn't have a driver's license till after I got married. Like I didn't even have a state ID when I left my house. Like those statistics for getting out of that situation and not replicating that generationally are really low. So to be here today, going into ministry, being mentally sound, not having depression, not having anxiety, not being financially irresponsible, married to a man who God brought in my path that is not abusive, that the abuse did not go down to my children is a miracle absolutely unto itself. But God, but God, but God. And if I didn't have the Lord, I don't think I would even be alive today to be completely honest with you. I don't think I would be here talking with the situation because again, my parents did not take care of me. I should have essentially been homeless. (laughs) And it just, that's not how the, what the Lord has, where the Lord has led. You've touched on this a few times now. So you had to put like words. So what does it mean to you to walk in freedom? What does that look like for you? Walking in freedom is surrendering to the Lord. Walking in freedom is looking at how he tells me to live and living as closely to what he, his standards are as possible. And it's not 
effort. I don't feel like I'm applying a lot of effort. I feel like I'm flowing in the obedience that he's allowed me to learn in his word. And like when it says the way is narrow, I, I have just come to understand that is if you took a Bible and you would let the words jump off the page and they formed a horizontal line, like the way that we are supposed to walk as believers is as narrow as those words. We are not supposed to deviate from the right or to the left. And if you are walking like that, you have nothing but victory. You have nothing but freedom because you are staying within the safety and the anointing and the leading and the guiding and the impartation and the empowerment of the spirit that God is wanting every single one of his believers to walk it. I'm not an anomaly. I have friends that are like, you would do so much study. I'm like, I'm only 16 months ahead of you. I'm like, you get in your prayer room, you read the word. I am not alone. Like the Lord's looking to move on his servants and do evangelism. The Lord's not saying, oh, I'm just going to hang out here and maybe I'm going to send this one or maybe I'm going to send that one. No, the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. Who's going to go? It's the ones that are seeking him and that are walking in that freedom. We don't, I don't have freedom for myself. I have freedom to share it with other people so other people can walk in freedom. This is not for me. Nothing that's happening right now is for me. This is for the kingdom. This is for evangelism. This is to see the freedom I have replicated in other lives. A lot of what we, even before you and I got on and started and started recording the show, we were having a conversation. There's a theme of just intimacy with God going throughout. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like for you to have intimacy with God? And what does that mean for you today? I'm so happy you asked me this question because I was actually formulating an answer. We find intimacy with God the way that God found us in the depths of humility. Christ found us in the opposite of who he was. He came, he is God. He is on the throne. He spoke existence into reality, yet he submitted himself under man's authority. Honestly, he always was an authority to the father, but in order to become sin for the world, to atone he had to submit himself to a cross. So in the, it was the ultimate act of humility. It was the ultimate act of surrender. And we find the deepest places of intimacy of God with God in the deepest levels of surrender. We cannot have that intimacy when we are full of ourselves. Like we have to not just empty ourselves. We have to fill ourselves with who he is, with that is his word, that is prayer. Like you can't be full of pride and expect to be intimate with the Lord. You can know about the Lord and be prideful. You can know about the Lord and being in rebellion, but to really know those depths, you have to surrender. You have to have humility. That I truly believe the greatest need for evangelists and teachers and anybody in the fivefold is not a platform. It is humility. It is humility because the danger for us is pride. The moment we get prideful, we are done. You see ministers rise up. You see massive moral failures almost every single time. Why? Because they were not submitted to God. And that probably came from a lack of intimacy with the Lord. They probably did. So I know I'm giving a very long answer, no, but it is absolutely humility. And it's, I believe that we go from glory to glory, but I've also observed that like we go from surrender to surrender. God will ask for something and you will say, okay, here it is Lord. And then you will ask for something else. And he will say here to his Lord and until and he will ask every part of you, if it is of you, he wants it. And to the level you give him is the level he'll use you. If you only give him a little bit, then you're going to have a little bit of a relationship. 
I'm not talking about salvation. I do not believe you can lose salvation. Please, nobody interpret what I am not saying. But when I'm talking about being used for ministry by, by wanting position, by wanting these things, God's like, okay, I'll use you, but you have to surrender these things. Like you, you can't be walking in pride and walking in that anointing at the same time. The level of surrender is the level of power he will allow you to operate in. That is what I've discovered through this process. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. And as long as I'm breathing, there's more than I can surrender. There's never going to be a day where I have arrived until glory. <laughs> and then we're glorifying glorification. And then we're all good because the flesh is gone. I One of the things that's been hitting me lately is to focus more on his presence than the platform. I never asked for... Now, when you desire certain things, the Bible will tell you like you're desiring an honorable thing. I remember early on in my walk talking to my pastor about being an elder in the church and about preaching. And he was just like, enjoy the journey. Let's just see where this is going to go. Just, just wait. Because there's a reason why you don't make young people elders, because of a lot of what you talked about was about pride. And it's It can be a huge stumbling block for them just because you don't know what you don't know. And there's just things that God reveals to you along the way. But we need to focus more on being in his presence than even where we're going. Because in his presence, he's going to show you the way. He's going to show you what he has for you. And if his presence isn't going to be there and it's not where I'm supposed to be, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there because I have moved outside of the will of God before, especially early on my walk. And I saw the pain that caused me and I saw the pain it caused other people. That's how you end up, like you said, early. I gave my life to Christ, but I was ready to commit suicide. I believe the spirit was operating in me because when I did backslide and I was sinning, I felt the weight of all of that sin. Like it, it, it felt, I felt literally death. I felt something I never felt before. And I didn't even know how to process it. It's important that we focus on our, the presence of God and sit with him and spend time with him and see what he has for, and just really see what he has. And in his timing of that versus I want to do this and do this and go here. The presence matters so much more than a platform because you need the anointing. You need his anointing to even step onto that platform. You don't want to go and start a church and be a head pastor if he didn't call you to do it. Mm -mm. No, and I agree with you because ministry will destroy you. You will be crushed under what you wanted in ministry. It is a brutal thing to be in. People don't realize it. It's rough. You're taking a burden. And if that is not something you have been specifically anointed to, to withstand, you have no business in ministry. You have no business in ministry if you do not have a personal, vibrant relationship with the Lord. You really should be at the point where if you never, you could have all the dreams. I'm not saying don't dream. I'm not saying don't plan. But you should be at the point where you're saying, Lord, if you never give me a platform, if you never give me a voice, if no one ever hears me preach or reads the book I published or does the thing that I want you to do the most, that I am fully satisfied in you, that the relationship I have with you is fully encompassing and satisfying. And if nothing ever happens, that's okay. And if you take everything from me, I am still good because you are the only thing that I want. You are the only thing that I need. And if I, if you give me more, that's great but I have everything I need here. And that is how you get somebody that would be willing to die for the gospel. Because at that point, their life doesn't mean anything to them. What they have doesn't mean anything to them because what they have in Christ and the glories in Christ are far surpassing anything else. Like I, I often think like the Lord has ruined me for everything else, like everything. Like, I don't care about, honestly, I need to care a little bit more about finances <laughs> I because I got a fundraiser. <laughs> but I'm at the point, I'm like, 
I don't really care about cars and money and material possessions because God uses gold as pavement in heaven. What is, once you encounter the father and encounter that love, like you, you stop desiring the things that are of this world. And obviously you have to still be in this world because we breathe and we work and this is where our missions field is and this is where we're on mission. But you just, there's just something about being complete in the Lord and how it changes your motivations. It changes what you pursue. It changes just what you, just how you interact with the world. It's so different than the other perspectives that are void of Christ. It's just completely different. It's well, one, I want to just touch on this. So you're talking to a major gift fundraiser. So you just let me know. We can discuss more of that off air. So I can throw, throw some nuggets your way. You, I've got about 20 years of fundraising experience. I could just dump on you pretty quick. So you'll be, I'm going to take the dumping. I am. I'm really starting to see why God has had us cross paths, even just talking to you before this and being in this world and not of it. We're we're called to to make sure that we're not giving into sins of this world, to make sure that we are not looking like the rest of this world. We're here to live like Christ and share his love and to live countercultural to what some of this world believes because they need to see something different. And a lot of times they're not even going to pick up the Bible to see it for themselves. They're just going to look at us. They're going to see us in the grocery store. They're going to see us in parking lots. They're going to see us on the highway. They're going to see us at our, our kids' sporting events. And are we mirroring what the word of God says to those folks? Because they may never pick up that book and read it for themselves. But I know that I know they're reading us because I've had people tell me. I've had people tell me. that I've had other people come and tell me stories that, you know, yeah, such and such that I told them this five years ago. And I don't even remember saying this to them, but you know, it they told me it, it touched them and it changed their lives. I'm like, well, praise God, because then the spirit really was in in that conversation. So it's just making sure that we're not giving into the philosophies of this world, that we're not giving into the habits and the patterns and the trends of this world, and we're living out our faith the way the Bible says that we are supposed to. Absolutely. And I think that as we are walking with the Lord, there comes a point when you in intimacy with the Lord that when that what's on you starts affecting your environment. What's on when you walk into a room, like it's not you walking into the room. It's who is with you as walking into the room right. that people go to events and go to these places to chase these atmospheres of glory. Chases, you go to these revival events, but you don't go from event to event. Your life is an atmosphere. Like you are a person that walks into the room and the very atmosphere changes and the very way people interact will start changing because it's not you making that change. It's the spirit of God that you carry on you because you have been in that presence. Like that's why the people were afraid of Moses. If you look back at the story, when he came down the mountain, he didn't realize he was radiating to the point that people were terrified and he had to put a veil on his face. And I think that we look at the Old Testament accounts and we're like, okay, that's for then, but nothing, God doesn't change. God doesn't change at all. And the only thing that's changed is the way his habitation has. It went from the tabernacle to the temple, to us, which that is an absolute mind. Just, I don't even try to comprehend that. Like, just look at this, that the way that the word works is just so far out of that's above my understanding. I can see the evidences of it. I can look in the scripture and read about it, but like practically understanding why God would choose to do that. I don't know. It's his plan, not mine. It's wonderful. But it's interesting. You mentioned this earlier that you have a book out. Do you want to give just the audience just a little bit about what the book is about and how how did it come about? Yes, this is my book. It's there Friendship, go. God's Plan Through History and Beyond. And this is an interesting story. So I will give what it is and then a little bit of how it came to be. 
But basically, it is a walkthrough of the biblical covenants. It is a walk through the biblical covenants. Mm. God calls us friend. And the issue, the, the question I had was, one, was there an example of friendship in the Bible? And if there was, and it was, and it interacted with multiple people, what did that look like? And was there any connection between the people that it was interacting with? And what I found out is the people that God gave the covenants to were friends of God. Now, some of them, like some of them were literally named friends of God and other ones had the elements of a friendship with the Lord. But that led into quite another question, which was, do people understand what the new covenant is? And on the whole, people, I think, know it like very, like have an overview of it. But when I say, what did Christ do for us? What actually happened? If you don't have an understanding or an education on what Christ went through, then it's very hard to comprehend the depth of love that was actually accomplished with how Christ atoned for the sin of the world and what that meant. And just putting it in, like, if I could give this to a new believer and say, here are the most important things you need to know about how we got from Genesis to Revelation and what the new covenant means and where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's what this is for. That is what this is for. This is what this book is for. So when did you realize you wanted to write this book? I didn't want to write this book. This is fun. Ah. And I, I will go, I will tell you the more of the mechanics on this off camera after this phone call, after the Zoom. Yeah. But I had an encounter with the Lord that was more powerful than a couple Octobers ago than I understood at the time. And I got this call, this mandate from the Lord to teach, but I didn't know how to teach. I'd never taught. I didn't know. So I started writing these messages and it was like message one, message two, message three, message four. Didn't know there were chapters to a book. Had no idea what the Lord was doing. And these chapters, messages were not short. Like the first one I did was 3,400 words. Oh, wow. And I'm like, that's the most piddly thing I wrote. Like some of them were like 8,000 words, 9,000 words. And my friend, I sat him down and I tried to go over and tell him what I was doing and write one to him. He's never do that again. He's like, it was awesome, but I can't process anymore right now. Never do that. So my husband looked at it. Those were the messages. And he said, hey, these look like chapters to a book. And my friend looked at it and said, these look like chapters to a book. Just independently, independent conversations, the Lord's mm-hmm. confirming, realizing, okay, these were actually chapters to the book. And then, so I didn't figure out until chapter message six that this was mm-hmm. actually a book. And then going through this and then just, so yeah, I didn't realize I was writing a book. By the time I did understand, it was 90% done. And <laughs> at least the manuscript was about 90% done. But absolutely, this was the Lord's leading. I'm not ashamed to say if the Lord would have told me I was writing a book, I probably wouldn't have done it. So we backdoored it. I didn't even know what a manuscript was before I started this. The Lord completely did this backwards with me. But it's brilliant because it's obviously his hand in this and not my own. How long did it take you to write the book that you didn't know you were writing that you didn't want to write? (laughs) It took me about six months. And then it took about another three months of editing. And then publication was officially nine months after. So it was actually really fast. What was that publishing process like for you, just for anyone who may be looking to get a book published who's listening? It was pretty simple as long as you have the correct tools. As long as you, like I use IngramSpark, which is a, an online distribution company that puts you everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think that having a the distribution is really important. Having a really good editor that understands your scope is really important. I know my editor 
his name's Stu and he's amazing. He's also a pastor with 40 years experience. So it wasn't just me doing a theological work and just being like, okay, this is good. It is putting this to somebody else who is studies theology and fact checking this thing the whole way through, because with me, it's either do it right or not at all. Because when you're being, when you are teaching scripture, you need to make sure that it is in context and that it is taught correctly or do not even mess with it. Don't mess with it. That's just know your people, have your resources outsource what needs to be outsourced. You are the writer, but you don't have to be the editor. You don't have to be the designer. You don't have to, don't waste your time on things that you can for very cheaply outsource. Now, honestly, if you're on a low budget, like I was, I designed my own cover, which I mean, I love my cover and I wouldn't change my cover and the back cover. So that's my thing. I like design. Again, don't waste your time doing things you are not skilled at. There's a million people that are probably better at you than something that you need. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You just touched on two things. My friend Neff, I always have him review my sermons before I preach, just in case. Hey, can you just read this over just to tell me? Because I feel bad for him sometimes because I write exactly how I'm going to say it. So it is intentionally written and it is grammatically terrible. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But I write exactly how I plan on saying it. Even the pauses, like I write my jokes in there intentionally too, just to make sure I don't disrupt the flow of the spirit, any, any too much humor or whatever the case might be. But I have Mm -hmm. someone look at it just because it's important to have another pair of eyes on things. But something else you said, one of the things that I also do is I build my teams, my leadership teams. Obviously I pray it all through. My teams are built around my weaknesses. Because it helps me, one, to not quote-unquote micromanage. Mm-hmm. constantly looking over the shoulder because it's like, I know in this particular area, you're better than me. And you have a skill that I don't have. So I'm not going to sit here and take up a ton of time just looking over your shoulder mm-hmm. and be like, oh, let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. I can let God use you for your gifts and your talents. And I can help wherever it is for me to help and refine whatever it is. God has us in each other's lives for a reason. Absolutely. So, iron, sh- iron sharpens iron. And I think exactly. that we need to allow other people and not be, not be discouraged that, Hey, we can't do everything, but embrace the people that God has put in our lives to, to come up and be the things we can't be. We cannot be effective if we are doing everything. No, God has made us individually good at certain things and we're never going to be good at other things. It's understanding that letting it go and allowing the Lord to bring this whole process together. When we're doing authoring, I mean, it's important that we get our voice out there, but utilizing the people that God puts in our lives. Because if we get stuck in trying to do it all ourselves, we could be delaying ourselves sometimes years and right. doing things we should have never tried. And you have, like you said, you have to know where your time is best utilized. You want mm-hmm. me designing logos for the podcast? Do you actually want me on the podcast with guests asking questions? Do you want me doing certain administrative things or would you rather have me looking for the guests and trying to and working on the and working on the episodes? You have to like where is my skill set best utilized? Yeah, and, and I, yeah, and I think it all comes down to stewardship. God has given each of us a measure of something that somebody else doesn't have. And he wants us to be the best stewards of our time, of our talents, and of our resources. And being a good steward doesn't mean spreading ourselves out everywhere. It means honing in on what the Lord has told us to do. It doesn't mean we just don't step out and try things. Right. But there comes a point, like, I'm not going to ed- attempt to edit my own book. That's insanity. That right. that No one wants that. I write the material. I hand it off. And then I pay them. And then I have something that I can be proud of. 
well, I'm not proud of it. The Lord's it's the Lord's work, but right. the Lord's work is it does deserve a level of excellence and can't provide that with my skill set. He calls me to write and to preach and to teach and have the people to support. I just got done reworking our church's leadership curriculum because we've made some changes to it. So as soon as it was finished, I sent it back to our head pastor and I sent it to his executive assistant. I said, let's check this for typos and let's check this for biblical accuracy because I've made, mm-hmm. I made some comments in there about the importance of our words and the power in words. And I was using some some things from Matthew and then obviously the Old Testament too about how God spoke the world into existence. I'm like, just check all of this. Just check mm-hmm. it all just in case. You know, you you yes. need those checks and balances. You have to be teachable. You right. have to be correctable. There's no way around it. In order to be used in ministry, you have to have be willing to submit you, whatever you're doing to somebody else and be willing to hear that, okay, this is off. This is wrong. You saw this way. This could be said better. You're being a little too harsh here because that's going to be somebody else's perspective. And that could be the Lord saving you from saying something that would be out of context or with the wrong tone. Or even if it's the right thing to say, if you say the right thing the wrong way, it's not going to communicate what was intended to be communicated. And the only way to sometimes see those flaws and see those blind spots is giving it to other people and then letting them roast you (laughs) on what was wrong, which being roasted is good when it's constructive and you're not being personally attacked. You are literally, that's the the best form of help you can possibly get to have somebody that loves you enough to say, hey, you need to correct this and this, and then it's good. I am not that person who prays for patience. I absolutely refuse to do that. But I am that because that prayer is only answered one way. Your patience gets tested. No, I can't pray for that type of warfare. But I do pray. I do pray for conviction because of my testimony where I grew up. I want to be, and I pray that God makes me sensitive to hear the spirit, but then gives me the grace to be obedient. Absolutely. Because that conviction both. Because that conviction is a good thing. Because Lord, you've put people in my life who are already where I'm trying to get to. So don't let me be prideful. I don't want to learn this lesson the hard way. I've learned so many lessons the hard way, probably almost all of them. Okay. So yeah, if we can just have one less. That would be nice. So let's God just soften my heart here to receive whatever it is I need to receive, because I know the person telling me this loves me and they want what you want out of my life to whatever our understanding at that moment really is, because we don't fully know God's plan right now. So we don't. And I think that's why humility goes back to the humility piece. And that's why humility is really acting. Humility is the really only way that you can receive that criticism, because when we work on something really hard, we put all of our effort and all of our things. And it's really easy to take it personally and then get offended and then make excuses why they are wrong and what I have produced is valuable and correct. And that pride and that lack of humility prevents you and makes you blinded to being able to respond in an appropriate way to correction. I'm grateful for the people who do, who give me the truth, give it to me straight, because I would rather have that than a fall flat on my face. Yep. So your book writing process was unique to some other folks that I've talked to. So I'm just curious, is there anything in that writing process that you didn't like or you didn't enjoy? It was the formatting. I'm not even going to lie. I love the. I love writing. I love getting in a flow. I love just going for it. So the writing process for me, I love doing it. And I didn't even know I loved doing it. But now I'm an author and I've already got other books in the works that I'm like, I must write this. But the part that just got to me was the formatting. And I didn't realize there was so much work to like getting a manuscript like on a page 
in an orderly way and numbered. And just we went back and forth with the editor many different times because the font size and the spacing and just cover and the it's just the that second half of it was just I did not like. And I just realized I am an author and an evangelist. I am not somebody that should be putting together books. Like I manuscript, here you go, put it together, give it back to me, which I don't have a high budget. So I did a lot of it on my own and praying for the God to release a lot of resources so that I can be even more effective with my next project to be like, okay, I'm not going to waste weeks like I did last time, if not months, trying to do things for myself that once I handed it off, it was a very quick process because that's their gifting. To your point, that's why I'm grateful for Bird Studios, because I saw what my social media page looked like before them and then i see what it looks like now <laughs> and i don't just mean the look in the image a look the image the quality all of it it's just the consistency of it it's like this is not my cup of tea i'm not a social media person but they are and i'm grateful for them <laughs> and you're not everybody like i'm not doing amazing right now i don't have millions of books selling you do what you can with the fullness of what you have and the lord will give you more and more as you are obedient and as you steward what you have. So you're not going to probably start off having all of your editors and all of your formatting people and everybody at your beck and go. You're going to have to do a lot of the work on your own. But as you are faithful, God will bring those resources to where you'll get to the point or he'll give you the ability to hand stuff off. I'm not saying you don't have to do it in the beginning. I had to do everything. I've done my own cover design, my own everything. The only thing I really had to outsource was the formatting and my editing. Like, But other than that, I had to take responsibility for the rest of it. In fact, I didn't even realize I'm like, Oh, I had to do a cover. I'm like, Oh no, like <laughs> the cover, the back cover needs writing. Oh man. Like I need an introduction. Okay. I need to write this. It's crazy how you start like an initiative and you just realize, Oh, this seemed done here. And then you look at it. It's like, I need 30 other things that I didn't even think about. You just, yeah, it's we, crazy. well, and I think that's indicative of just watching people in leadership in general, that you see somebody in leadership and you're like, I want that. But you don't look at everything that got to that and you don't see the mountain of pain, the sleepless nights, the debt they got into, the loss of family. You don't see the cost associated with the call that they stepped into. And you just want what they have. That, that, that no, that, that no. <laughs> it's almost like you've been, I, I teach our membership classes at our church. We call them 101 and 201. And in there I talk about don't be envious of somebody else's anointing their calling because you don't know what's going on mm -hmm. behind closed doors because that calling, that gifting, it's costing them something. And it, you don't know what that cost might be. It's time, whether you're missing, they may be missing a, an event that they wanted to be at, a family function. I'm not, I'm just throwing random things out there, yeah. but that call is going to cost you something. And sometimes just like you've talked about and I've talked about, it's that death to self sometimes for that call, it, it can be painful because some mm -hmm. of those things you're like, okay, here, God. And some of those things like, I want to hold on to this. I'm not really ready to let this go. So we don't know what that may be costing them behind closed doors. We just have to be the unique creations that God called each one of us to be. Yeah. And I think one of the dangers is that when we look at somebody being used by God, like if they're working in the healing ministry or the deliverance ministry, or they're a high profile minister, just because they're operating in the power of God does not mean that God's placed with them. That does not mean that that is not an indicator of their standing with the Lord. Just because you can preach the word does not mean you have an in-depth relationship with God. It doesn't even mean you know the Lord. It means you can preach mm -hmm. the word. The enemy knows the word, but we all know where he's going. So we have to not 
look at somebody's position and make assumptions. No, we need to step into where the Lord has us, not be envious of other people because we can get so enamored and distracted by other people's ministries that the Lord's calling us to something, but we want that. Mm. But God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be who he wants us to be. We're not supposed to be copies of another only person we're supposed to copy is Christ. And he's right. not, our calls are as, as unique as our fingerprints. Like he's going to use us. He knows how we are wired. He knows our personalities. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And when he engineers a call for our lives, he's taken all of that into account. And to say, I want what somebody else has is almost heartbreaking to ignore what he has done in you and what he's created in you. Like they shouldn't, that should never be discounted because somebody else has a platform. God made each one of us so unique and so strategically put together that only you can do what God calls you to do. No one else can do what he has called you to do. That's how much each one of us matters to God, that we were each created for a unique mission and a unique purpose that only we can fulfill with him. And comparison doesn't honor God. It either, comparison either makes us inferior to other people or makes us superior to other people. And neither one of those options honors mm -hmm. the Lord. And no, they will both cause separation. Well, it will cause a lack of wanting to share the gospel. Realistically, if I think I don't have a testimony and I see somebody with a huge testimony, if I try to compare my experience with your experience, I could think my experience isn't worth sharing with anybody because it's not your experience. If I think your experience is more powerful than my experience, that I'm going to be less likely, I'm going to be more likely to push people to your experience than share mine, which that is not the design God gives us. He gives us our stories. He leads us on the roads and the trials to communicate, as we've talked about before we got on, we were live here, that I'm going to be able to communicate to different people than you're going to be able to communicate to. But we, we are all a body of Christ. We all have different functions. We have one purpose, and that is to see people saved and walking into freedom. Was there anything in the process of writing this book that like surprised you, caught you off guard? Or was it just the idea that you woke up one day and had a book finished? <laughs> I think the hardest part of this book was reading chapter 10 and it's like seeing how the Lord was operating through this process. So when I was all done with the book and I had finished chapter 10 and I had this big sigh of relief that I was done. And the Lord spoke to me, just not audibly, but just internally. And he told me to delete chapter 10. That was terrifying. I thought I was done with the book. And honestly, if you delete your final chapter in the book, you don't have a book. Like you have this cliffhanger at the end that's, you don't, you don't have your ends tied up. So I kind of argued with God a little bit and just thought about it. But then I surrendered and I deleted chapter 10, which was not a comfortable position to be in because I didn't know what was going to go there. I knew something was going to go there, but it took me a long time to write chapter 10. And that was every chapter had so much research and effort applied to it that it was just throwing away the work. I didn't even have it saved. Once it was gone, there was no going back after I hit delete. Obviously I could have probably got it back, but I prayed for probably 10, 15 minutes and the Lord showed me this inner vision of a Venn diagram and revealed to me that each covenant bearer that I had spent the entire book going over and defining and seeing how they lived had an attribute that they shared with Christ. And those attributes crossed over into how we are supposed to reflect Christ in the world. So that's how my final chapter 10 
was written. And it's my final chapter is called Reflections. And that is why it's called Reflections, because we reflect Christ's attributes to the world to show who he is. It's it always amazes me when God shows up and he proves to us that he's God. Like I shouldn't be surprised by it, but every time I'm just like, man, I the more I know, I realize the less that I seem to know. <laughs> it's, just, it's unreal. It's unbelievable. What advice would you give to someone who is looking to write a book? Just start. You just have to start. You've got to get out of your head and just start writing. I've talked to so many people that say, I have a concept. I have something I want to write, but I just don't know how to do it. And I think they have to have all of this planning. They think they have to have everything together. Just sit down with whatever mode you're comfortable with, whether it be a pen and a paper or being on the computer, just get your thoughts out there. If writing is too much, like the physical writing, get a re- use your phone. Your phone has a recording. You can record on your phone and you can just get your, if you just need to get your thoughts out to go over and get the concepts out, but just don't sit there in paralysis when you want to do something. Sometimes the biggest thing that is, comes in the way of us doing something is us. You just need to stop thinking about it and just do it. So you, obviously you're looking to grow a nonprofit. You're looking to probably, and I'm going to just assume, which is dangerous, but I believe this won't be your last book. So how do you stay Christ-centered? And the, the next part of this question is, how do you avoid burnout with everything that you're doing? You have to start off in the presence of God. You have to have your primary goal. My primary goal in life is not to teach hmm. or to be an author. It is to be in the presence of God and to practice hmm. his presence. And my the ministry that you have, the ministry that I have, that any true ministry is not an effort from our strength. It is an outpouring of a relationship with God. So that is how burnt out burnout is completely, utterly avoided is because you are getting fed spiritually every single day. If you are not in the word, if you are not in prayer, if you do not have the relationship, the only direction you have is burnout. There, there's no other, death. you can go for a while, but you're going to crash and burn. No, you have to be in the word and being spiritually fed daily. That, that is honestly how you stay focused and stay in the word and stay true to what the Lord has for you and making sure that you are getting that spiritual feeding, then that cannot come from going to church on a Sunday. Yes, you go to church, you fellowship. But if that is all you are getting throughout the week, that is not enough. No, if you're reading one verse a day and thinking or one verse a week and thinking that's going to be enough spiritual food to keep you from burning out, you're sadly mistaken. And you're not ever going to see the fullness of what it is to walk in victory and what it is not to get burnt out and to stay focused and not look to your left, not look to your right but be the person that God has anointed you to be, to do what he has anointed you to do. And if that's writing, then it's the writing process. If it's career, it's a career process. This one, we're talking about authoring, but this principle really goes to every human, every person within the sound of the voices on this that are listening to this podcast. So I'm curious what your answer to this is just after talking to you for, again, before the podcast and then now, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? Surrender to the Holy Spirit, like obedience to the word, hands down. I don't care if my name's ever remembered. I care that when people interact with what I teach, 
And when I go on podcasts like this, they remember that, that it is about being in the word, it's about being in prayer, and it's about obeying the word of the Lord. You cannot, this whole book is impossible if you don't trust God. Like you can't submit to someone. You cannot be friends with somebody you don't know. And you don't know him if you are not in the word and in prayer. Like that is where you get to know your father. That is where you get that intimacy. Like friendship with God is birthed out of obedience. And we cannot be obedient to something we don't know. Like the most basic of things, being in the word. If that is the one thing people get off this <laughs> is be a person of the word, being a person of prayer, surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. That's what I want to be. That's the only thing. I ever care to be remembered for. I was talking to someone recently and they were asking me about how can I really get to know God's voice because they were waiting on something specific. And I said, open his word and see what he said already. That'll give you an idea of the father. That'll give you an idea of God's character. That'll give you an idea of his mercy, his love, his grace, the things that he, that he doesn't like. It'll give you an idea. If you really want to start to get to know God's voice, look at what God said already in the Bible. We, yeah. we can all, and then look at, look at his actions, look at how he moved, look at how he loved on people. Listen to the things that Jesus said. If you really want to get to know the voice and character of God, look at what we already have while you may be waiting on a specific mission and vision. Should I write the book? Should I start the podcast? While you're waiting for those things, what did God say already? Because then you're going to get to know the character of the father, but what the father has already revealed to us through the scripture. So absolutely. And that's the thing, the hard thing about being a believer that is not in the word because I do believe there's a lot of believers that have not submitted themselves to study is that you have your own voice and then you have the voice of God trying to talk to you. He is talking to you, but you do not have the discernment to pick out who is who. And that is why it's important to go into the word, learn what his voice sounds like, become familiar with how he communicates, become familiar with how he talks and his will so that when he does speak to you, it becomes very obvious and clear when he is speaking and it becomes very obvious and clear when that is your flesh and you know what to listen to because it's very becomes very confusing when God's speaking and your flesh is speaking. You can't tell the difference because you haven't learned what your father sounds like. I've discovered that my one of the things I've learned to your point is that a lot of times some of the voices, like my voice in my head, it, it, is this contradictory to scripture? That whenever I'm feeling something, it's like, where does this line up with what God is telling me? So I don't, because I don't want to fall in that same trap or that same pitfall again. So that's no, that's good advice. That's good advice there. I don't believe that that brings me to, to our final segment. This is our let them know segment. Michelle, thank you for everything you shared right here today. Thank you just for taking the time to be on the show and just sharing your passion, your love for the Lord. This is the final segment. This The floor is yours to just tell the audience anything you want to share. So, Michelle, please let them know. I just wanted to end this with kind of my inspiration for this book, and I'm going to read it. It's John 15, 12. It's John 15, 12 through 15. It says, this is my command that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my father, I have been made known to you. Now, that is one of my inspirations for the book. That is what caused me to do the research for this book. One of the biggest things in this book is when it says, if you, 
That is the most powerful Mm -hmm. two words in this entire scripture. If you is conditional, if you means that we have to be it being friends of, yes, he classifies us as friends, but in order to step into that friendship, we have to have a life surrendered. Like we cannot step into friendship with God and be in rebellion and be living in a way that is not aligned with the scriptures and aligned with what he says. And and I think that Christianity today has become very, I'm not saying everyone is a lazy Christian. I'm saying that we have a tendency to get very comfortable with our Christianity and very comfortable and complacent with just going to church on a Sunday and just letting that be the only feeding we're going to get comfortable with our pastors, comfortable with our leaders to listen to a sermon and then not go to our word, not have any discernment on what has been preached. And that's how false religions and denominations and doctrines like rise up because something like the word of God preached in the wrong context can create something that was never meant to be there, which is heartbreaking. And if you're not in the word, you're not going to have the ability to detect that false teaching. So I would just give this encouragement that if you're not in the word, do not be discouraged, but ask the Lord to give you that desire to know the Lord. You have to have the desire of the Holy spirit because he's the one that leads you to the word. He's the one that leads you to salvation. And then once he leads you to salvation and the word, he gives you the ability to the wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and understanding to go into the word, to understand the word. And then that word becomes part of you. And that word is transformative to your mind and your emotions and your will. And you start becoming the person the Lord wants to be. And then you can live out that if you, because without that action, without that transformation, like we can't, salvation isn't writing on that. But to step into the depth of intimacy that the Lord has once for all of us, which he wants to know you more than you want to know him. He wants a friendship with you more than you want a friendship with him. And to realize that is to realize that he loves you more than you can ever comprehend. And doing that if you is probably one of the most important things you could ever do. And it's not us doing it. It is the Lord empowering us with the ability to do that. Nothing about the Christian faith is about us. Nothing about it originates from us. Nothing about Christ's sacrifice on the cross was caused by us. We just have to take that free invitation, not only of going over and accepting salvation, but stepping into a place of surrender, which is starts off with what you were saying earlier, that Lord, search me, know me, and reveal the things in me that are not supposed to be there. Because sometimes we're not going to see the things that are our blind spots. The Lord wants us to surrender, to walk into that if you. So that, that is my encouragement. And that is just what I wanted to share. It's crazy, even in my own personal life, to what you just said, just be, that obedience and surrender, every blessing I've seen has been on the other side of that. Sometimes just saying yes and giving up the things he's asking to give up and not even knowing this is where we're going. And we're not always going to know. And I think it's better sometimes we don't know (laughs) because sometimes if I knew it was in the other side of that door, I may not walk through it. So I thank you for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. I have one more thing for you. If you could do one more thing for us, if you would not mind closing us in prayer, I would really appreciate that today. Yeah, I definitely can. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful opportunity 
for this podcast and this wonderful connection. I pray, Father, that you would just be, your influence would be on this podcast, Lord, that you would have your word go forth, Lord. I pray for Redwood, Lord, that your will would be done. I pray that continued growth over this ministry, continued ter- continue to grow that territory, Lord. And I thank you so much for this time. And I just pray a blessing on this information as it goes out to the people. In your name, amen. And Father, I just want to lift up Michelle and her ministry to you now, Lord. Lord, I just thank you for just all the lives that she's going to touch. I thank you for just the souls you're going to use her to win for you. I thank you for just everything you're going to do in her and through her, Father. Lord, I just thank you for just the blessing that she's going to be to so many people around her, Lord. I just I thank you for just the expansion of her territory. I thank you for just the financial provision that you're going to bring and provide, Father. I just thank you for her yes to you. Thank you for just the testimony that that she is to that she is and will be to so many people, Father. Lord, I just pray that you just continue to give her eyes to see and ears to hear everything you want her to do and where you want her to go and continue to bring divine appointments her way. Continue to bring the right people into her life for where she's going, Lord. But I thank you for the wisdom that you're going to continue to just to bestow on her, Father. We just pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Michelle, thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the show today. We will have to get you back on here because now I feel like we got another 37 topics to talk about. So <laughs> bring me on 37 more times. I'm happy to talk. I feel like we just scratched the surface of everything right now. So thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. We're looking forward to having you back in the future. Beautiful. Thank, thank you. you.